0: if it bleeds we can get it you are listening to the f11 photography podcast chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host mr brandon gory
1: it is i we are here today hello
0: I am uh, getting ready to go on my uh, annual vacation. We tend to do June or July. I'm going to the Florida Keys to go scuba diving. And then I'm meeting, uh, I'm going with my oldest, by the way. And then we're going to drive up to Orlando and meet the wife and kids to go to Disney world. Brandon's give me blank stares. He has I, no, he has I've no got children. I've a
1: really inappropriate joke that just came to my mind and I'm 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 deliberating on whether or not I should say it.
0: <laughs> I can always cut it out. Go for it.
1: Okay, so it's it's you wonder why there's so much cocaine in Miami, and then you realize it's right next to the keys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that joke. We can take, we can make cocaine jokes
0: on this channel, even though I've never done it. Cause, uh, putting things up my nose sounds like, uh, not a lot of fun. It's 10 AM. Yeah. So, uh, Brandon is, uh, speaking of stimulants, Brandon is on his second cup of coffee or is that your first?
1: I only have one kind of uh, cup of coffee a day these days. I do one or two, I did my one, <clears throat> so I'm, uh, I'm good. But uh,
0: yes, I'm going to go on vacation, uh, so we were going to knock out a few podcasts. We uh, already did one today, we're doing another one right now. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Dehancer Is the cost of film kicking you in the balls? Well, if you can't afford film, uh, you're not alone, and there's software to take care of that for about the price of a few boxes of uh, T-Max 400, you could just buy the program Dehancer. What is Dehancer? It's film emulation software. There's over 30 combined years of experience uh, using the algorithms to try to recreate things like film grain, prints, uh, all sorts of things. Especially Hel- halation, Helation, bloom effects, etc., things that you only see when you take light and you put it through an emulsion. And my biggest, uh, my biggest gripe about most people who try to emulate film is they never can emulate the physical part of the light hitting a piece of a material. And I gotta say that, well, the answer isn't perfect. It does a pretty darn good job. And of all the programs that are out there, it does the best job of emulating the physical uh, light hitting the emulsion. Would you agree with that,
1: Brandon? I 100% agree. And there's something special about Dehancer in that you can rely, you can lean on their array of presets, which look phenomenal by the way. But other than that, it is such an advanced software that you can build any preset you want. It doesn't even have to look like a, a, a standard film stock. It can look like anything you want it to. And that's the magic.
0: Exactly. You've got really cool things like Ilford HP5. You've got
1: things like
0: uh, Portra 400. You can even get uh, expired film stocks that they don't make any more like Kodachrome or Fuji Turna, things like that. But you're not just limited to still frames. You've also got motion picture film. So if you're used to using those uh, Fuji and Kodak films, the Kodak Eastman films and all that, they're there. Those stocks are there. So uh, check out a link in the description below where you can get 10% off your copy of Dehancer today. And speaking of today, today's episode, we're going to talk about un orthodox uh, photography techniques and styles. Uh, Brandon picked this episode out, and so he's going to be driving the ship mostly on today's episode, and I'm going to be responding. Usually I drive the ship because I come up with a lot of the episode ideas, but Brandon came up with this episode idea, so I'm going to let him drive a lot of the ship here, but basically we're talking about Things that can help you uh, separate yourself from other photographers because a lot of times we're using the same techniques and there's just uh, subtle things that you can do to improve your photography and and take it to the next level and help you grow as a photographer. So I'm gonna uh, pass the little talking bark over to Brandon and he can now talk.
1: Ah, yes, it's good to have the conch in hand. Thank you, Kevin. So today we're talking about the intentional. Oh, God, suddenly the pressure hit and I'm blanking. No, today we're, we're talking about intentional imperfections in our photography. Have you ever gone to a museum and looked at people's photo work and enjoyed a photo that was helplessly out of focus, enjoyed a photo where there was motion blur and, and no discernment for a direct subject and yet you were still captivated by the scene in general. It left an emotional impression on you and you couldn't explain why. You just loved the motion and you loved the way it made you feel. There are a lot of these things. There are a lot of artistic ways in which we can express ourselves with photography, and it like while not maintaining the perfectly crisp, perfectly composed, perfectly metered, and perfectly colored image.
0: Yeah, and I I, I admittedly struggle with that. And the reason why is I'm a very technical photographer. And, uh, you know, I'm in Facebook groups with other technical photographers where we talk about technical things. So if you're talking about, Oh, how sharp is this lens? Where's the bouquet fall off at and all this, and you get into that, we- you get into the weeds there. Uh, you often find yourself uh, really, uh, swinging to one side of that pendulum and, and not exploring the other side. And I found that, um, you know, I think the thing that set me off is Uh, I I usually will let models choose their shots, uh, you know, because if we're doing a creative collaboration, uh, they want something for their portfolio. I let them have a little bit of say in uh, what ends up happening uh, and what what they want me to edit. And then if it differs from what I I pick, then I edit both of our shots. But a lot of times we end up picking the same shots. But uh, I accidentally left a shot that I didn't like perfectly execute on it. And the model selected that they thought it looked cool. And, and, and I found that, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm in a hurry and I don't like call my photos, well, a lot of times the models will select the, those shots that look intentionally blurry. They were accidentally blurry. I might tell you, <laughs> but cause I didn't uh, technically execute it well, but, and I've actually uh, really noticed that with my Fuji GFX 100 S because as amazing as that camera is one of the things that absolutely sucks on that camera is the autofocus. So I have to shoot manual focus a lot. And then also because I shoot a lot of film and I have to shoot manual focus on these old, um, medium format, analog cameras is I do miss focus. And a lot of times it's like, man, this picture is so amazing, but I didn't nail focus. So I'm just going to throw it away. No, don't do that. Like live with your imperfections. A lot of times people prefer the softness. A lot of times people are sick of seeing things that are so technically perfect that when they see something that isn't, it really strikes them and and stands out to them. And so it allowed me to, uh, that error allowed me to stand back, reevaluate my work and go, should I intentionally be trying to do stuff like this? And I've noticed that since I've been trying to intentionally do stuff like this, it's a skill that I've been developing, and it's evolving my work for the better. And so, uh, you know, me shooting with a shutter drag, for instance, I love shooting shutter drag. I've been doing shutter drag since you know the early two thousands when I shot on film, but uh, it's some um, it's allowed me to revisit it because shutter drag is becoming in vogue again. And I'm like, shit, I used to do that. I'm old. Like we used to do that back in the day. I had to do that for a assignment for school, like do shutter drag, but, uh, but anyway, I'll let you talk again. <laughs> thank,
1: thank you. So it, it, it's, it's often, it's, it's very likely that you're already photographing with an intentional imperfection. Um, it, with the advent of mirrorless cameras and the amazing, uh, ability to retain information in low light, everyone now, it's just second nature to shoot one or two stops underexposed so that you can bring up an image to a nice balanced place. That, that seems to happen without second thought. In fact, it, it was a controversial thing years ago when Sony came out with the a7S III and that was kind of a photographic style and it, was, it proliferated on Instagram. And now it's just something that as photographers with mirrorless cameras and even with really good DSLR sensors, we shoot underexposed and we bring it up. In the same way, it's it's very common to shoot porch for 400 at a 200 ISO rating to overexpose it to retain um, to retain highlights in the shadows uh, because it can handle that higher light in the highlights when it's brought down. Now, those are those are just two methods in which we intentionally shoot imperfectly, but there are other times when, like Kevin mentioned, you're culling through your photos and you see shots that were that were missed shots they were out of focus they were shots where there was a little bit of blur because you just happened to like you know scratch your armpit while taking a photo and it just it just happened and suddenly you've got a 45 degree dutch tilt out of focus and with a little bit of blur and a strange expression on the model's face now, now let's think about that image, that completely hypothetical image, and what you just took. The Dutch tilt is used in movies, cinematically, to indicate that there is something wrong, that there is something amiss, and that you should be aware of an impending crisis or an impending conflict. That's what the Dutch tilt implies cinematically. And if you're gonna, if you catch a model and you happen to catch a model when they're thinking, or if they have a sudden face of worry or shock, let's say their hands are touched together, and their face is on frame and it's a little bit blurry, and they've got this this face of shock and with the Dutch tilt, there's a there's a likely chance that that combination of accident is going to come out to to make more of an impressionistic image, uh, leaving an emotional impression on your audience, than the intentional image that you're going to capture of them in a pose with all the things correct and in order. And so it's the, the transfer from accidental shots that look amazing to intentionally taking these shots takes a lot of meditation. And it it takes a lot of willpower and understanding to, to breach from a perfectionist and orderly nature of taking an accurate, well metered, well composed shot. One example is I was taking a photo of Sophia, a model that Kevin and I mutually shoot and she's absolutely fantastic, you'd be lucky to have her in front of your camera. And I was using my 85 millimeter, and I was taking really, really close up portraits of her face and I accidentally fired a blurry shot. And the the blur was just out of focus enough to where the key light in her eye created a perfect circle and and her face was angled in such a way that the fall off most of the most of the blur was in her eyes and then the fall off came down to her chin where it was nearly in focus. And that image left more of an emotional impression than most of the rest of my series. In fact, so much so that for a small time, Sophia made it her profile picture and I nearly called it and deleted it because my perfectionist nature couldn't handle that that was there. And yet, I think it was my most impactful image and probably one that if I was going to print out of that series, uh, it would be that one sometimes that
0: drives me crazy. The happy accidents that I'd never intended end up being like way better than the things I spend all that time investing in. But we've talked about that in the past on this, uh, anything you push the the button on, you're the author of, even if it wasn't unintentional. So go get that money, uh, go get paid for those awesome images and, and live with them. And, um, you Know, do it, trust me. But no, I use the uh, I use the Dutch tilt uh, ironically. I, I have everything when it's perfectly normal and the model has a nice, perfect face and everything's good. I'll just Dutch tilt it just to piss people off, like you're not using that correctly. No, I'm just kidding, I don't really do that. I, I use it the same way everybody else does.
1: Yeah, it's it's I remember seeing the Dutch tilt in my Soviet cinema class used for one of the first times by Ziga Vertov to. Um, or no, it's, yeah, it's Ziga Vertov and man with a movie camera and it's a, it's a very powerful technique, but there are a couple of, there are a couple of photographers who use intentional imperfections extremely well, so well that it doesn't even like the, the thought of the photo being imperfect doesn't cross your mind. And one of these artists is Alexei Titarenko and he is a St. Petersburg photographer who go ahead
0: I see the one who does like the super long exposures where it looks like there's just seas of humanity
1: moving around
0: yes yeah his work is awesome yeah go check
1: him out so in the 90s during the hustle and bustle and the, the doom and gloom of the Russian 90s in St. Petersburg when crimes were high when vodka had more value uh, more value than the ruble and, and I mean this literally people would uh, buy and sell in the black market in vodka instead of rubles because vodka was more valuable than the currency at the time Alexi captured a very, um, a very moody St. Petersburg in high traffic areas by setting up his camera and using um, uh, several minute long exposures to capture a bustling crowd, and the crowd that was captured. What you would see is you'd see these ghost like figures moving up and down staircases in mass, and it would kind of portray this this strong sense of anonymity in in the utter a desolate and indifference of what was then um, a post Soviet Russia. And he did this in multiple places and you look at these images and it's perfectly intentional and And the message is and, and the impression is perfectly captured. You feel it immediately and you understand what he's trying to convey. In the same way, there's another argu- another artist, another Japanese artist who whose name I'm spacing on right now. I'll have to look that up. But he created a photo series called Beyond Infinity. Where when you're shooting with a large format camera, you can actually focus to infinity, and you ac- you can technically focus beyond infinity because of the way that uh, the way that you can bevel the system, and so it's a it's an uncanny blur because most of the blur that we see in photos is um, is approaching infinity when a subject will be out of focus, but this photographer took photos of, of everyday objects, everyday buildings and landmarks, and it would be extremely out of focus, but in a, in a specific way that we're not used to. And to us, the, the view is uncanny and absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking work, especially on large format to see the blur captured in such high definition. Um, it makes you step back and wonder how can I take photos that are intentionally imperfect and create more of an impression, a stronger impression on the audience, uh, than with your perfectly curated standard work.
0: Absolutely. And the, you know, the thing that uh, if you, if you are, uh, one of those photographers, like who, who was like me, who just like was really immersed in trying to be perfect. You know, the thing, if you want to, if you want to really embrace imperfection and dive into it headfirst, I uh, encourage you to shoot film because you only get, uh, you know, 10, 12, 16 shots if you're shooting medium format, 24 to 36 if you're shooting 35 millimeter and film's expensive and you have to live with your shots. Film really makes you learn to live with your mistakes because at the end of the day, you'll execute something and it'll just be a little off. And it's like, well, I can't go back and reshoot this, redevelop the film, rescan the film and get this just right. Even if I, I could, it wouldn't be the same because maybe the lighting's different or whatever. The person's in a different mood that way. You can only capture that, that photo once it's over. And so you got to live with it and, uh, shooting film has really, uh, like reinvigorated my love of imperfection because when I started off, like I said, and I've talked about it a million times on this, on this show, I started off on film, then I went to digital and then I rediscovered film. And when I rediscovered film, it really did make me like take a step back and just go look, man, like you gotta, you gotta appreciate the the imperfections that, and then the story I told you about with the model who picked the shot that, uh, the, that I didn't like, but or I didn't like because of technical reasons, I actually thought it was a great shot and so, uh, shooting film will absolutely get you onto that bandwagon. And I like, uh, intentionally like going out of focus. Sometimes there's something that, uh, is a pet peeve for some people. And it used to be a pet peeve for me. And it's something I've learned to live with is I like to shoot at a shallow depth of field. And if you're shooting portraiture at a shallow depth of field and you're up close and someone uh, turns their head a little right or a little left, one of their eyes falls out of focus or their nose falls out of focus. I like that, especially with the nose. Sometimes I'm, you know, I I can, in my technical geeky head, I can go, well, I'm shooting at a shallow depth of field. And so I can take the fact that their nose is out of focus and their eyes are in focus. And I can just, as a geeky, dorky technical guy, go, well, no, that's cool. It's showing off the depth of field. So I can find a way that I can appreciate it from a technical standpoint, but also massively appreciate it from an artistic standpoint because focus fall off. Uh, can be used very well artistically as well. A uh, focus fall off uh, to me is a very uh, sacred thing. Like I, I intentionally figure out where I want my focus fall off to be. And, uh, and, and sometimes I want to use it artistically. Sometimes you want it to be a little dreamier. And so if you have that focus fall off happen at the body, maybe in the hair or halfway on the face, it can give you a more dreamy effect. Uh, Now headshot photographers uh, tends to have the focus fall off happen more way into the back of the hair because you obviously want to get uh, the person in focus. I personally do headshots at like F8, F11. I like to have the whole body in focus on headshots, but uh, there's that Peter Hurley look that everybody likes where it's like a F4, F5 focus fall off around the hair. But that's an artistic decision that you have to make. And uh, going back to other things that we were talking about, um, the whole underexposing, when I shoot monochrome, I almost always go at least one stop underexposed, if not more. And I've actually had people go, dude, like your black point is too dark. I'm like, no, that's, that's how I wanted it. Like, I like black and white to be dark. And sometimes... You know, if I'm trying to be moody, I intentionally want to technically be underexposed. That's what I'm going for. Um, And, and, you know, if you think about it, you know, if if you're a photographer who wants to see with their eyes, like I want to capture what my eye sees, sometimes the world is underexposed. Sometimes things aren't as light as we want them to be. But if you're accurately telling the story, you need to keep that underexposed because it was too dark for your eyes to begin with. But that's the way it was. That was the way it was meant to be seen. That's the way it happened. And so, uh, you know, I make those artistic decisions in editing. Um, and and it's, it's, you know, something that I, I like to live with. I like, I like it. I, I'm really into environmental portraits. That's kind of my main thing. And uh, unless I'm going intentionally for something that's, uh, uh, you know, fantasy or, um, you know, not realistic, I tend to leave the exposure w- the way I saw it are listening to the
1: f11 photography podcast piggybacking off of that is your intention has everything to do with your photography and and how you see your subject environment relationship and in going into a shoot and trying to make an image that is going to be intentionally imperfect. Um, a lot of people who do that, and a lot of them, they tend to shoot a lot of street style photos or a lot of street fashion. They they go in and they're they're already going in, bending the rules. They go in with wide angle lenses. Uh, They go in in, into unorthodox places in the city and they really just, they've got their experimenting cap on. And that's really what it is, is it takes a little bit of a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of, I I don't want to say courage because that sounds silly, but it does because you have your happy place, you have your habit zone and where you like to take photos. And you really have to throw a wrench into that to kind of push the boundaries of what you're used to. And so, it is sometimes it takes going to a new environment um sometimes it takes you know changing up models because there's two ways to shoot an environmental photo there's there's the one where you have a model and all focuses on them and the backdrop is literally the, like the environment is just a backdrop they're not interacting with the environment they're there the models there with a power pose they've got their hands on their waist and heels on and they're just the full subject and nothing else matters the rest of it is just color and and ambiance, And then the other way to shoot an environmental photo is where you're peering in as third person omniscient to see what's going on in this person's world. It's where they're interacting with the world. It's where they're in motion. It's where they've got their own thing going on and they're feigning, they're feigning an an otherworldly essence in which you get to view them and you just happen to take pictures of them while they're doing their own thing.
0: That's the style that I prefer to shoot uh, with my editorial vibes. Uh, But let's talk about uh, certain things that are of interest to me when it comes to unorthodox. Uh, I'm going to start talking about lenses. So, As an environmental portrait photographer, I shoot the standard, what I consider to be the standard environmental portrait photography lenses, which is uh, if I'm shooting a normal field of view, I shoot a 50 millimeter lens. If I wanna be slightly wider than a normal field of view, I shoot a 35 millimeter lens. And then when I'm gonna get tighter, I shoot either my 85 or my 135 millimeter lenses. And those always go with me on my shoots. However, I have two other lenses and uh, I'm a Canon shooter. For those of you who don't know, I shoot on an R5. And there are two lenses that I will choose one or the other on with a shoot, depending on the space in my bag. Um, There is the RF 16 millimeter 2.8, which I can fit in my pocket, but it's a 16 millimeter. So it's an ultra wide. And then uh, on shoots where I have a little bit more room, I take a 14 to 35 with me, which I'm actually doing a shoot, uh, after today's episode, uh, when I'm going to take this with me. And the reason I take an ultra wide with me to a portrait, the reason why I take an ultra wide with me to a portrait shoot is because some of the best photos I've ever taken were taken ultra wide. And they always tell you, Oh, ultra wides for landscape or ultra wides for real estate or whatever. Bullshit. I love shooting ultra wide. As a matter of fact, if you go to Kevin literally when you hit enter, the very first shot you're going to see is of a model shot at 14 millimeters sitting in a chair from below. It's one of my favorite shots I've ever taken. And it was taken at an unorthodox focal length. Absolutely take ultra wides with you. And, Uh, I love taking that 16 millimeter with me, as I mentioned earlier, because it fits in my pocket and they're like, Oh, well, the corner edge isn't sharp. It's like, I'm taking shots of portraits. I don't care if the corner edges are sharp. My subject is usually framed in the middle to a third off anyway. They're not in the corners. So, you know, there's a little bit of focus fall off there anyway, if I'm shooting, you know, at a F 2.8 or F four or whatever. So I don't care if the corners are sharp. I care if my subject is sharp and uh, sharpness is overrated by the way. Um, and, and so, I love taking that with me because I don't even really consider it a lens because it's about the size of like an accessory and I take it with me on every shoot and, and, and in shoots where I have more space in my bag, I'll take the 14 to 35 because it gets even wider than 16. And so uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm trying to find some unorthodox orthodox things to do. Well, you know, shoot at focal lengths that aren't what you're used to seeing all the time. You, you're used to seeing 50 and 85 for the most part, and to a lesser extent, but still pretty popular, 35. And then, um, you know, then if you're doing super long stuff, you can do 135, 200 or whatever, but go wide, go ultra wide, especially if you're doing portraits. Um, it's a very unorthodox focal length to uh, shoot at.
1: Yeah, and, and sometimes you also want to play around the rule of thirds only to quickly abandon them. So the understanding of, of space in photography is one of the more difficult things to grasp, especially when you're trying to break the rules. It's easy to take a portrait with the rule of thirds in mind, which will then crop down to four thirds instead of uh, 16 by nine. And then there you've got a nice balanced portrait. It's easy to understand that when you've got a subject viewing 45 degrees uh, stage right, that you're gonna wanna leave room on the left side of your frame to make sure that their eyes are leading the shot into the negative space. Simple things like that, that's photography 101. But where you wanna break the rules and where you can break the rules is in, in places like where there's, there's a wide open expanse and, and the model is not only um, on the far left third and the far bottom third, but they're also taking up a lot less space, leaving a lot of negative space for um, for for almost almost for oh God. What's the word? I'm like coffee dead for perspective. So what you'd have is if you're shooting like a wide open, snowy landscape and it's a landscape shot and you've got your subject as a little speck on the on the photo that's that's one way that you can introduce perspective and an interest into into that shot and of course you wouldn't really be seeing the subject's face but you can definitely incorporate their bodily movements to insinuate and direct the impression that you're leaving on the photo
0: yes scale is something that i explore a lot um and not just scale in terms of oh i'm shooting somebody you know in front of this gigantic cathedral. I'm going to make them look small. I like to do uh, negative space, uh, scale. So something that's pretty common in my work is I will take a picture of somebody in front of like an eight foot backdrop and then I'll go into Photoshop and I'll make it look like I'm, there's just this, this tiny little person in the lower right co- you know, corner of the, of the frame. And then there's nothing but white around them. I, I, I don't know why I've always just loved that, that type of look. I I've always been a sucker for negative space. Um, I think it's a way that you can separate yourself. I've actually had, I think even you have commented, uh, I do my headshots a little differently. The way I leave a gap above heads. I just like the way that looks personally. Um, It's just my artistic eye and the way I like to see things, which apparently is unorthodox, but that's just the way, that's the only way I know how to do headshots. the only way I like to frame them, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did notice that you leave a lot of negative space and that negative space makes me very, um, very uneasy for some reason. Um, But I think that's, I think that's, you know, totally just the the difference in relationship we have with our subjects, especially photographically, which uh, I do enjoy because you take really great portraits. But other things, other things to consider are um, the focus rack and which from cinema, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times where you can have a subject in focus, but um, what's more important is their surroundings. And so you leave their background in focus and the foreground out of focus and you see that a lot with street photography and artistic photos. And there's also other times when you can play with the blur when you notice your subject or um, or especially in their eyes where they have a really high and bright highlights and you actually go and l- like leave them out of focus to get the bokeh quite literally in their eyes, which is also another amazing effect. Um, but something to definitely try is uh is is kind of like the easiest one is play with shutter drag play with a single strobe or or not but it's easier to play with a strobe because in studio you can control the light but if you're in the daylight trying to play with shutter drag is you're going to need an nd filter for that which is that's its own headache so when you're next time you're in the studio or if you can get a key light try playing around with shutter drag and get some interesting trails. It's, it's definitely a great way to change the way you see light and change the way you see photography. And it also kind of jars and jogs your, your habits so that you can start seeing things differently as well.
0: Yeah, and for those of you listening, you're not super hip to shutter drag. Basically, what it is is uh, you typically have two sources of light. You have a fast source of light and a slow source of light. And the only way you can, of course, get a slow source of light to print in and burn into your sensor is to use a slower shutter speed. And uh, you know your, your, your strobes, they tend to take a picture at about a 5,000th of a second. But if you were to be in a completely pitched black room, and you took a two second exposure and your flash went off for a 5,000th of a second and you look at your image, it would just look like a regular shot. Now there may be a little bit of pixel burnout that sometimes happens with long exposures with high megapixel cameras, but in general, it's just going to look like you took a shot and a flash went off at a 5,000th of a second. However, if you have a slower burn-in source of light, I tend to do like a strobe and some sort of an LED light at a predetermined color. Uh, It could be Matched to daylight, it could be matched to my strobes white balance. It could be RGB. I could take a picture of somebody's shirt and then find a complementary color and make that um, make that LED light be that complementary color. And so what I'll do is I'll do like an eighth a second or a half a second shot. I'll I'll blast them with the with a strobe real quick so they're frozen, but they're still there. And then there's like a burn-in of the LED, and you'll see like uh, when when that burn-in is happening, I'll move my camera, and so that burn-in creates a streak of that LED light, that second source, and you'll see like just this weird uh, orange streak uh, going across their shoulder, even though their shoulder tends to look like it's in focus. So it's like you're kind of taking two. It's kind of a double exposure. Is what's happening here: a fast exposure and a slow exposure, and one is going to be super sharp. And in focus, usually assuming that you, you nailed your focus and then the other one's going to be blurry motion blur has, you know, not, it's not, it's not, um, out of focus. It's blurry, uh, just, just to clarify, and that's because you're using a slower shutter speed and that's why they call it shutter drag. You know, you have this movement happening that's creating a blur and you know, if you, if you just Google that, you'll see some incredible uses of shutter drag.
1: Yeah. And, and there was another, there's a photographer, a famous photographer whose work, whose body of work looks different now. His name's Ryan McGinley. You've probably heard of him and the, his early career consisted of him taking photos with a, a double flash, like, like two flashes, one photo and in motion and at the time, it was completely novel. And what you'd get is similar to um, the, the rear curtain sync with, with the strobe photography where you're capturing the drag but also have a frozen image in time is you'd you'd have a singular image and that image would be the entire frame, like from edge to edge of the frame, that would be one imprint. And then you'd also have this sort of ghosted uh, chromatic effect, like difference in, in, in chroma for the second image that was about... 50% opacity in the background and it created it created amazing images for his subjects, especially in wide open spaces as Ryan McGinley shot uh, Started out shooting a lot of NACU people in very extraordinary places. And so That's the kind of effect you'd get with that and It's completely unorthodox and it's uncalled for in essence, but it's the uncalled for stuff That's really gonna get you going so you can take a camera at, at any time and try something different. For me, it's it's when I get tired of taking photos of a model, I'll honestly just drop to the floor and just see what I can get. I'll go to my widest and suddenly you're shaping things differently. Suddenly, if you're indoors, things on the ceiling make a difference. The window placement makes a huge difference because you have to incorporate that. And suddenly the, the aspect of the, of the model makes a difference, where her feet are placed and stuff like that, because she's going to be shrinking as she gets to the top. And even then, when you're down there, if you want to incorporate motion, that adds a whole other dimension as well. And you can do some crazy, crazy motion stuff where her legs are most likely going to be still, but as, she, as her body extends upwards, you're going to get more and more motion there
0: listening to the f11 photography podcast i wanted to touch up on uh something lens based uh you you know i talked about using a 14 millimeter ultra wide to shoot um to shoot like super wide shots but also and i've talked about this in the past on this uh on this show which is i like to use tighter lenses Way far back and use them for environmental, environmental portraits. So, and I've talked about one of my signature signature shots that people love when they go through my portfolio and say, "Oh, I I really like that shot. I want you to shoot me in that style." Is I take an 85 millimeter, I get about 30 feet back, I get super low to the ground, I shoot it all the way wide open at like 1.2. And you just see like this super tall model because you're low to the ground with a compressed background. So if you have like a cityscape behind him, it really puts it over their shoulder everything in the foreground is just out of focus, out of focus, out of focus. There's just this little sliver of absolute sharpness and then it drops off again. It's a cool shot. It's something to try. And it's something that I've learned over time is use tighter shots, uh, tighter lenses for environmental portraits, but you'd normally use a 35 at most a 50 millimeter. Then you can even go back uh, as far wide as a 24 or 28, but in Instead, replace those focal lengths with something like a 85 or a 135. You just have to shout at your model if you use a 135, but you can get some really unique results that way. And then there's another thing I want to talk about. There's this over tendency, in my opinion, for studio photographers and off-camera flash photographers to use. Uh, soft boxes. There's this very famous photographer, a very well-known photographer. I'm not going to name names, but he's very popular on Instagram and his whole, uh, Instagram channel is based off off camera flash. And he always uses a soft box at sunset. And I'm like, have you ever seen the fucking sun? Like it is hard light. It's the hardest fucking source of light in the, in the galaxy. Right.
1: And it goes and, pretty hard and, yeah. in yeah. and,
0: and the solar system. And, and, and so it's like, dude, Stop using a soft box at sunset because it looks unnatural. You've got this hard rim light around the subject and you just have this soft light on the face. It's like, that's not how it looks. It looks so fake and and that drives me crazy. So I challenge you and I even challenge you in the context of a studio, pull out the reflector, pull out your bare bulb and no modifier at all beyond that and just hit your, hit your subject with hard light. It looks like you're shooting sunlight in the studio and it looks amazing. And you know, people always go for soft and like, Oh yeah, I go for soft. Cause I like the way the skin looks. It's like, well, if you're okay doing a little bit of retouching on the skin because of the over-exaggerated bumps and dips, uh, you can get insane cheekbones on women. Women love when they can see their cheekbones like that, and then for men, you want that nice, prominent, masculine jawline. You do that with shadows. Hard light creates more shadow. It creates harder shadows. So if you want that masculine jawline, like I grew up, like I remember uh, you know Greg Gorman uh, was a is a celebrity photographer, and he would always shoot like Pierce Brosnan and all these celebrities at, at Golden Hour, and I just see like this shot of Pierce Brosnan. He had this freaking awesome jawline. I was like, dude, it's 07, right? He looks badass. And you know, I didn't really understand why. And then you start getting into like uh you know, studio photographers like, Oh yeah, you need to go, you know what you need to do. You need to go out and buy a soft box and you go out and you buy a soft box. And you're like, cool. But like, what was that lighting that I was chasing after? And then you go take someone out in the sunlight at golden hour. And, and that's the thing is, that's the thing that blows my mind is natural light photographers do this all the time. They'll take someone out in golden hour and get that prominent jawline. But then the second, a lot of these people take someone into the studio, they like, they're afraid of hard light all of a sudden. And it's like, no, embrace hard light. Hard light is just as, useful as soft light. Um, you know, you think about beauty ads. When I think of the word beauty, I don't think of the word hard. I typically think of soft, right? Well, a beauty dish is kind of a deceptive name and that it is a hard light source. And when you're looking at an Olay ad or something like that, or Neutrogena or something, they are a lot of times shooting that with a hard modifier. And so I don't, Uh, I, I think that a lot of these Instagram, uh, channels that push off camera flash that are trying to be educational, they spread some misinformation out there because they're all about soft light. And it's like, man, like try the hard light, see what you can get with that. A lot of times it's a lot easier too, because a hard light, you put a, you put your, your strobe on a stand and you just put like a, a reflector on there and it doesn't get caught in the wind as easily. And so, you know, if you're, it's a, it's a cloudy day and you're trying to emulate golden hour. And, you know, the client's like, I want a golden hour shoot. And this is the only day we can do it. You can put like a, an orange filter on there and just blast them with hard light and you can emulate golden hour. It's really cool.
1: Yeah. I, I started out shooting hard light in studio and it, I always found it easier to work with because for some reason shooting soft light, it, I felt like, like the, the poses had to go with it. You know what I mean? Like, like having really, really aggressive stances, and maybe even uh, frowned faces, and kind of just like that—that that harsh, that harsh kind of presence in studio—it works really well with harsh light. And it's also easier to shape. It's, um, if you get yourself a 200 watt Godox, which is in many studios, it's just continuous light, that's powerful enough to where you can actually shape the face pretty well and see what you're doing. Now, when you're shooting harsh light with uh, with a strobe, even with the model light, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes exactly what the, the light's gonna look like. So I find that shooting continuous light with harsh light uh, really works. And that's why you get a parabolic uh, reflector so you can go between soft and hard light. Yeah. But uh, yeah, moving to the the more marketable aspect of, of intentional imperfections and reaching the pinnacle of your own creative body of work is a lot of people. If you're able to shoot catalog images for a brand, that's one thing that's great. It's a good skill to have in the back pocket. And it's what it's, it's a level of reliability that is going to get you a lot of clients. However, What's going to attract those clients to you in the first place is your your creative, off-the-wall body of work. They want to see exactly how high you can jump and how well you can jump. They're not going to look for, okay, he's got the Rembrandt and the hair light, and he's got the, the shadow fill so that this coat looks good in front of a white backdrop. That's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty easy. They want to see how well their coat can look in motion in the city, in a crazy backdrop, in a place that inspires. It, it inspires marketability and inspires someone to to want to work with you. Your creative work should be your most outward-facing work, and and it should lead to your more reliable commercial work as well. Um, most people get in touch with me through my Instagram because that's where all my hyperbolic uh, that's where all my hyperbolic work lies, and then when they get to the my, my website, that's where they can see my more commercial, tame, and accurately executed shots. But most of the time, when people want to work with me who aren't commercial brands or aren't uh, personal brands themselves, sole proprietors, they want the most, they want the crazy off the wall stuff. They come to me and they're just like, what ideas do you have for a shoot with me? They want to know how far we can take this shoot and just how creative we can get because they're looking at this work and that's what they're after as well.
0: Yeah. And uh, on the subject of, I lost my train of thought. Hey, when that happens, you know, I may, maybe I do need a second cup of coffee today.
1: It's we're on an abstract topic. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very right brained I'm like, Hey bro, you can't, you can't be uh, multitasking here. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know on this uh, channel, I'm, I usually do the board operations. So I'm usually like muting things, unmuting things, hitting the sound effects, hitting the faders. And, uh, that takes up some of my bandwidth and Brandon will be in the middle of a really deep thought. And I, I, if I, if I, it's like to, to my brain, if I miss one word, it's like my train goes off the track. I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about again? <laughs> like, like that's just, that's just the way it is. But, uh, but no, to, to, to Brandon's point, what were you talking about?
1: I was talking about <laughs> your forward facing portfolio should be your creative stuff with, with your more consistent commercial work as a, as yeah, the-
0: I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, uh, I, I tends to have my more commercial work on my, uh, on my, uh, website and then my, my more abstract stuff on my Instagram, which is interesting because I still have commercial people who go to my Instagram and they're just like, I can tell that you know what you're doing. We want, we want you to just work for us. Even though what we're doing is like, like I'll shoot for a hotel chain or something. Well, you know how to take pictures of people. I can tell off of your personal work. But I mean, that's, that's kind of the interesting thing is I, I have a handful of, uh, of paid work on my, uh, on my Instagram. Almost everything I do is a creative collaboration. Uh, that's portfolio stuff. It's stuff that I'm like, Hey, I needed, I need to shoot this for my portfolio. I go find a like-minded model. I go find a like-minded makeup artist, etc. And, uh, but every now and then I will have a, a, a paying client come to me with a really great idea and I'll be like, Oh, cool. Well, that's such a great idea. I'm going to put it in my portfolio. Um, you know, that shoot, I did a shoot of a gentleman from Saudi Arabia who wanted to do some, um, you know, middle Eastern fashion, which I don't have none of that in my portfolio. And I thought it looked good. So I'm like, I'm gonna put in my Instagram. I thought it looked all right. So what shot a very cinematic, uh, Fuji Eterna, uh, vibes, but, uh, but yes, uh, Brandon brings up great points. Um, I hope that you all, um, you know, can take some nuggets from today's episode. There's so much to talk about in terms of unorthodox things you can do, study some of the photographers we talked about today. And, uh, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Yes, that is going to do it for today's episode because I pushed the button to end the episode. You see, that's what you can do. It's like the guy behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, But anyway, you can follow us at F11pod.com. You can follow us on Instagram at F11Pod. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at F11Pod, even though we don't really keep up with either of those <laughs> we're more Instagram. But uh, we thank each and every one of you for listening to today's episode. We thank our sponsor, Dehancer, who is awesome. Check out the link in the description below for 10% off. And until next time, chase light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.